Okay, pray for me. Lord, thank you so much that we get to be here. Lord, uh, we, don't, we don't take for granted a single second that we get to draw a breath. If you leave us here another second, we'll serve you another second. So please, God, we beg you that you be here with us, that your Holy Spirit would infuse my words, Lord, that, Lord, I would learn, that we would learn from this, and that, Lord, we wouldn't be like people that look in a mirror and forget what we look like when we walk away, but we'd be hearers of the word and doers of the word as well. Bless this time together in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So uh, I'm flying back from Oklahoma City last uh, uh, Friday. So coming back from Fort Sill. No one ever left Fort Sill sad. <laughs> You're leaving Fort Sill. You know, <laughs> Things are already shaping up, right? So, yeah. So I, I get on the plane, and I'm like, finally, I've sequestered. I don't know how you guys feel on a plane. I love flying because in the airport, no one wants to talk to you anyway. Everybody's, like, doing their own thing. So I can actually get stuff done. And I love a good amount of noise around me that's nondescript, that's, that doesn't draw my attention, and I can get tons of stuff done. So I'm thinking, as soon as I get to the airport, on the plane, I'm going to have all this writing crap done that I had to do. So I sit down, and I'm sitting down next to the guy, and I look in the, the seat in front of me, and there's a kid, and he can't be more than 23 years old. Yeah, and so, but he's sitting next to this lady, and he's, he's got a pack with a, a China, a flag of China on there, and on the shirt, he says, worship. And he seemed like a really nice young kid. He sits down, and I get a front row seat for three and a half hours to him telling her about his life, about Christ. He goes to Oral Roberts University. Ask me how, ask me details about this kid's life. Man, I know everything. Okay, it goes to Oral Roberts University. He's been on mission trips to China, all that stuff. So he's been on these mission trips all around the world. But here he is flying from Oklahoma City to Dulles, and then later on to Pennsylvania to let his uh, girlfriend, who's not currently his girlfriend, know that she's going to be his girlfriend. <laughs> Talk about faith. You know, he's like, man, he, even the lady was amazed. So I think, that was the, I think that was the thing, the selling point for the rest of the messages. He's like, no, no, she just doesn't know she's my girlfriend yet. So uh, he's sitting there, and I'm listening to him, and he's sharing his faith, sharing his life, and stuff like that. I can't hear her answers, but I can see his face clear as a bell. And I'm thinking, I've sequestered this time to do my writing, and he sequestered this time for something different. By the end, I'm telling you, man, an hour and a half into it, he was to why the Bible is important and asking her what she thought about it. Then another two hours, maybe two and a half hours into it, he's asking her how she, what she thinks about Christ. About three hours into it, he's praying with her. And then there's this point where I'm looking across. I can't see her, his, her answer. He's like, and he, he kind of stops for a little bit. He's staring at her. And then he goes, would you like to know for certain that you're saved, that, you know, that you have the absolute certainty from this moment forward? And I was like, it's going to happen right now. I mean, I've told people about Christ, you know, for a long time now. I've never seen that. I never, you know, it was never like, would you like to know now? Well, yes, I would, you know. And she did. And he led her to Christ right there from Oklahoma City to Dulles on his way to Pennsylvania. Right? And it, and, it, and, it, and it touched me, and I, you know, I, I, I pulled him aside later on. I hugged him and everything, and, I'm, and I, was, I was literally crying in the back there. I'm praying for him the whole time. And I thought, man, he had a different purpose getting on the flight. He knew, it, like, he had a purpose. Yes, he, his, his task is I'm flying from Dull, or Oklahoma City to Dulles to Pennsylvania. But my purpose is different. The underwriting purpose was different. So... Here's what I would ask is, why are we alive? What, what's our purpose? And this goes to missionary marriage, okay? Now, w this is going to be a video. 
and I'm going to hit it, and if there's no sound, we're going to quickly go forward. And there's no sound. Okay, so, no, we're not going to do the video. I was just kidding. But what it's great is it's this, it's this uh, company, and they do all these really touchy, squeezy videos called uh, Soul Pancake. Awesome name, right? Okay, but then when you listen to this, what was interesting to me is they're asking what the purpose is. One guy says, my purpose is to live to 110. All right, I watched my, my father-in-law live to, in his late 80s, sheer misery the last few years. It wasn't this like, yay, you know, he was, yeah, he was not, it was a lot of pain and stuff like that. And the worst part is he never had a conversation with me or, or my wife that didn't involve the past. He couldn't talk to you about the future, couldn't talk to you about the present. He was trapped in the past, right? So living longer doesn't necessarily, and then other ones like, I want to help animals. I want, you know, my purpose is to help other people to find their purpose. And I thought, what if you run into other people who their purpose is to help other people find their purpose? <laughs> what are you guys going to do? You know, <laughs> are you just going to, you're going to get in this self-defeating logic. These were comments that were put underneath the video. And these were fascinating to me. One guy's like, I'm 21, or tomorrow I'll be 21. I still don't know what my purpose is, but I guess my, I should start figuring that out. Yes, I agree. Then my purpose is to have a good purpose. Okay, if you're teaching logic, that would be very difficult. You could find yourself in a, in a, in a logic loop that you can't get out. I'm trapped. Okay, the next one is, I love this one. You can't see it very well, but I would say my purpose is to help animals and people, but especially animals. <laughs> I thought, okay, then you get a smart aleck. My purpose was to rescue a cat stuck in a tree and help an old woman crossing the street. I finished that when I was 12. Now it's smooth sailing, you know, <laughs> so he's got nothing left to do. But then you look out this one, this guy, he makes a, a, this argument. He goes, there isn't a meaning to life. We obviously die, therefore, whether we had a good life or a bad life, if we help people or experience great things or didn't, whether we achieved our own subjective meaning, won't matter once we're dead because when you're dead, you're dead. I was like, kudos to you, sir. You know, that, that's going to be a life worth living, right? Except that here's the lie. If he really believed that, then you would go out and rob banks and do drugs. You would do every single thing you could get away with. And you know what? You'd be a damn fool if you didn't. Why? Because you're going to die. And if there's nothing after that, then why aren't you maximizing your benefit in this life? So we know that he's not exactly being honest. And then I love this one. My purpose in life is to make a difference. That's not, I mean, good. Skeeter says it's, his purpose is to have fun. Uh, my purpose is to make sure that other people recognize their purpose. Again, a little bit self, a little defeating logic. But there were exactly two people on the whole site, not one in the video, that mentioned this. And I think this is probably closer to the truth. The ultimate purpose in life is to have a Christ-like life. Praise and glorify God in everything we do and spread the gospel. And then Sajil Ghori, he says, my purpose is to gain a true connection with God, the only creator. Now, so a few weeks back, months back, I'm not even sure, we were at a men's prayer meeting on Friday mornings at 06, right outside those doors where we all should be, but consider that. Okay, but anyway, Friday 06, Ted Nance is in there, and he brings up the Westminster Short Confession. I never heard it. I, ha I know, I know. I, you guys are going to have to check my citizenship. And have <laughs> but, okay, so he brought it up, and it's like, what is the purpose of man? I, I would have phrased it differently, but it's concise, and it's to glorify God and enjoy him forever. 
Imagine if you have that purpose. And I woke up, believe me, there was a time where I did not have that purpose. When I was a sergeant, I was in the Marine Corps, I remember clear as a bell, I was over at First Force Recon Company in Campanile, California. We'd be partying all night on Friday night. Saturday morning, I didn't really have anything scheduled the rest of the weekend until Monday. And I had like a big day Monday. And I found myself sitting there thinking, man, I really don't have anything to do until this next event. So what am I going to do until this next event? And I was literally sitting there thinking, I am literally killing time. I am executing time. I am killing time just until the next event. Then I thought, okay, long term, what am I doing? I am literally killing time until I die. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get a little higher in my job. I'm going to get a little bit more money. Maybe I get married. Maybe I do something else. But I'm just waiting to die, literally counting the days. That's it. It's got to be more than that, okay? So I ask this next part is, why are you married? If, if again, if we, if we take the logic of a mission statement. So a mission statement, if it's written correctly, it only has one task and one purpose. But the purpose, you're supposed to write first. In case you guys didn't know that there are a couple people. I have students, they'll, they'll write their task first, you clown. No. You write what, why you're doing, what it is you're going to do, and then you write how you're going to do it. So the first part is, if my purpose in life is to glorify God, right, and enjoy him forever, that's my purpose, it can't change. It just, the task may change, the location may change, but the purpose won't. So if I get married, do I all of a sudden inherit a different purpose? Or is it the same purpose, just, again, carried out in a different context? So what's the purpose of your marriage? And what I was originally going to do is have everybody write down the purpose statement of their marriage. So I want you to just, just take 10 15 seconds right now, think, why am I married? And if you're not married, and you're, consider, you're about to get married, why am I getting married? And if you weren't married before, or you, let's say you were married, and, like me, you're divorced at some point, what was the purpose of that old marriage? Okay? Is it, you know, to bless her, to bless you? Is it comfort? Is it that you guys are supposed to help each other? Is it just to procreate? What? is what was, what will be the purpose of your marriage, of our marriage, of our marriages. And remember, I mean, I think it's in this thing. It can't, <laughs> theoretically, it couldn't be different than your, your base purpose. So, what about our task, the thing that we do? So, what's the overarching task of your life? And we'll get into this a little bit, but I would, again, if, it's, if we use the gather, grow, go model, Right? If, we, if, we listen to, if we listen to the Great Commission, it's kind of straightforward. Go into the world, make disciples, baptizing all men in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's kind of straightforward. Right? But it's, it, it's loaded with, with meaning in there. So if that's our task, then does being married change that task? Right? I would submit that it probably doesn't. So we're going to have to look at a couple case studies. Right? So case study one, boom, a lot of writing. You can read it if you like, okay? I, I believe me, I was rushing all this one, so, you know, you're going to get a he text heavy. There was actually, I guess, some general, I can't remember who told me this, but he's like, um, I apologize for the length of the letter. If I had more time, it would be shorter. <laughs> That's what I had right here. Okay, so you have Priscilla and Aquila. We, see, we run into them first in, in Acts 18, 2 through 3, and we see them in Corinth, and they're, they're going about their business. What's weird is that Aquila is a Jew, we know that from, the, from writing, and he got, he got kicked out of Rome, right, because of Claudius. So Claudius kicked all the Jews out of Rome, and then we, we hear from scholars or different people that he probably was a slave while he's in Rome, 
he might have been, belonged to the family of Priscilla. We don't know that for sure. Okay? We do know that Priscilla is not born a Jewess. She's a non-believer, a pagan, who comes to Judaism. Okay? So we can make the assumption that she either came as a result or in order to get married to Aquila, or she became a Jewess and then got married. Okay? But it seems more likely that as a result of meeting uh, Aquila and getting married that she became a Jewess. Okay? But when we see them collide in Corinth, right? we see Paul. They're tent makers. Paul comes there. He's a tent maker. And what's their first missionary act? They're living in Corinth. They're not going anywhere. They simply take in a missionary. So they're there with Paul. They're doing tent making. And guess what they do? Guess what their great missionary uh, effort is? They make tents. Guess what they were doing before? They're making tents. The difference is they've brought someone else into their lives, and they're beginning to serve where they're at. Okay? So they bring Paul in there, and he begins to stay with them for about at least a year, year and a half. And what's interesting is when Paul decides to move to Ephesus, Right? They pick up their lives and move with him. Okay? So they literally bring this, like, I, I almost picture like a missionary camp, I guess, with them. They just pick up their lives, their, their business, their everything, and they move it there. They plop it down. And it seems that they pretty much establish operations there in Ephesus, not really to leave again after that. So they've really only been in two places. They set up camp in Ephesus. Paul stand with them. Then what's interesting is that Paul continues on his mission trips. But then you see these two. And they're mentioned again when Apollos comes in, and he's preaching. He's an eloquent speaker. He's gifted, and he loves the Lord. But then they see, mm, he's got some, there might be some gaps there in his teaching. So what's interesting, instead of saying, Aquila pulled him aside and was like, squared him away, Priscilla and Aquila pull him aside and square him away. And they tell him, and they cover some of the gaps in his logic or, or in his understanding of the gospel, and then boom, he's equipped, and they send him off. So then we see them living there for at least three more years, probably a lot longer than that, okay? But then we see Paul come back about three years later on his mission trip. But while he's gone in 1 Corinthians uh, 16, 19, we see Paul writing to Priscilla and Aquila and says, hey, we send greetings to Priscilla and Aquila and the church that meets in their house. What's interesting is, is they had a BCC building campaign back then, and it was Priscilla and Aquila's house. <laughs> They're like, we'll put a guest room on or something like that, right? Because the church was where? In their house, right? Their lives, their house, their tent making, their business was their missionary field, was their ability to minister and bring people to Christ, which is kind of amazing, okay? So some of them, some of uh, the writers believe that being tent makers, they also helped teach in the school of Tyrannus there with Paul. Then we see in Romans 16, 4, that Paul says they risk their lives for, for his life. Again, there's probably a number of occasions that we can remember historically where they would have an opportunity. And the last place we see them is there in 2 Timothy 4.19, where they're supporting Timothy's ministry there in Ephesus. Okay? So that's Priscilla and Aquila. We'll pull some points out of that here in a second. Then we got Peter and Mrs. Peter. And they're what we call Mrs. Peter because she doesn't have a name in there. Or she, she has a name. It's just not mentioned in the Bible, which is interesting. But we know for certain he is married. We know that he has a mother-in-law. And what's interesting is that we know for a fact that Jesus tended to set up his headquarters there at Peter's house in Capernaum and possibly another house in another location. So the logical reasoning here is that while Paul is and, or sorry, Peter and Jesus are involved in ministry and the operations, Peter's wife and, her mo and his mother-in-law 
are involved in the logistics of the operation. Okay? So then we go further, and we see down here in Matthew 19, where Jesus is talking to the rich young man, and the guy says, what must I do to etern- you know, inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, easy, sell everything you own and come follow me. So the guy's like, ooh, I didn't want to hear that. So he walks off, and the, the apostles, you know, they're amazed because he says, who can, how difficult is it for someone who's devoted to their possessions to enter heaven? It's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle. So they're amazed. They're like, well, who can be saved then? And then Jesus gets into this idea of it, with God, anything's possible. But then he extends it, and he goes, everyone who leaves houses, brothers, sisters, father, or mother, children, or lands for my, state, my name's sake, receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. And, and Paul or Peter had asked, well, didn't we leave all this stuff for you? There was one, one group that he left out. He never said anything about leaving your wife. Now, some people have pointed out that there, there is no mention of leaving wives on the list unless it's included in houses and households. But what's very clear is that Miss Peter, Mrs. Peter came with Peter. We don't know if he brought her or if she accompanied him. It wasn't, hey, you need to come with me or I'm going with you. We know that they were together, right? We know that they went to uh, a few places, Jerusalem, Corinth, uh, Antioch, we know that they covered probably 3,000 miles together on foot in their missionary trips. We know that by the time we get to 8090, we see in the writing of Eusebius, we got uh, Fox's Book of Martyrs, another good location of this. And the key one is Pastor Clement of Rome, 8090, they have the, the persecution of Nero. So, one, you know, he's angry, and so he's got to blame somebody for all the hurricanes and the plagues that are killing all the, the people there in Rome. So he blames it on the Christians. And what does he do? He has, one of the key things is he, I always knew he arrested Peter. I always knew Peter was like, I don't want to be crucified like Jesus. I want to be crucified upside down. There's a couple things I did not know. Number one, that according to Pastor Clement Arone, is that Peter had escaped. Is that at first, you know, uh, all the Christians come to him and say, hey, look, dude, uh, you need to get out of here because if you survive, you can continue to serve the larger church. He's like, oh, that's a good idea. So he escapes somehow. But he makes it all the way to the gates of Rome. And, and who does he run into? According to Pastor Clement of Rome, he runs into Christ again. And, Jesus, and he says, Lord, what are you doing here? And again, we don't know that if this is a dream, if this is a vision. But we know that he has this conversation. And Jesus says, I'm going to be crucified a second time. And Peter, humiliated, realizes he's got to go back. So he doesn't just go back. He turns himself in. He's not running. And, I mean, it breaks my heart. And it, but that's not what broke my heart. That's not one of the key things I didn't know. What I didn't, what I didn't know was, when Eusebius writes this, his wife died first. So, while Peter's there, and he sees her. So, Eusebius, moreover, writing of the death, not only of Peter, but also of his wife, affirmeth that Peter, seeing his wife going to her martyrdom, was greatly joyous and glad thereof, who, crying unto her with a loud voice and calling her by name, bade her to remember the Lord Jesus. Such then was the blessed bond of marriage among the saints of God, and thus much of Peter. So he, he, he didn't just pass away, and she didn't just pass away. He knew. She knew. That would be very difficult, I feel like. But what's funny is what do I see from these different things? Number one, Priscilla and Aquila. Aquila did the, the first thing and the most important thing. He led. He led in Judaism, led her to faith, most likely. 
But then she took over from there, and not took over, but the faith became her own, and they become a team, not just only in their tent making, in their service. Their home was part of their mission. Their generosity and hospitality was part of their mission field, right? We have this idea that we have to go somewhere, but we can also bring things, right? We don't need to go. You don't have to look very far to find unsaved people. If you're looking for them, you can, can't, you can hit, you know, you swing a dead cat, you're going to hit an uh, unsaved person, right? You don't have to even leave your neighborhood. But you can. It's not saying that you can't. They witnessed together. They were the, the, so again, religious scholars note that very often when they're talking about Priscilla and Aquila witnessing, her name goes first, and then other places that Aquila's name goes first, saying that she was probably at least as capable, if not more capable than him, at least in witnessing, but they did it as a team. And at last mention, we see them ministering to the larger Christian young community. But then we see with Peter and Mrs. Peter, we see this, that their house was their base of support. They used all of their assets, their car. They didn't have cars back then. I imagine their donkey, right? They used their house. They used everything in support of their what? Their mission. They woke up in their mission field. First and foremost, they're generous and hospitable. They sacrificed together. They fought together. They most likely divided the, the labor. So unlike Priscilla and Aquila, who had the shared task, these guys divided the labor. So there's a couple ways to do it. She took care of the logistics. He took care of operations. Either one's fine, okay? But how do they finish together? They finish strong together, arm in arm. And so what's interesting is I've always seen these old guys, and there's a few old guys in here, right, who love to do these reunions, right? What's interesting is, is that when I finally figured it out, I was like, I just did the numbers. Uh, the guys I went to combat with, we knew each other in training for maybe a year or a few months, and then we served together for a few months or a year or so. So the amount of time we could have known each other in combat would have been months or maybe a year or two. And yet these guys get together the rest of their lives. What would be so compelling that you would want to share the rest of your lives get doing these reunions together? And then I think about Priscilla and Aquila, and I think about Peter and Mrs. Peter, and, the, and combat. What forges people together closer than going through those difficult times, than locking arm in arm, taking on every new task? What could forge a couple together closer? So, missionary marriages, what's your purpose, your honor? It's to glorify God and enjoy him forever. What's your task? It's to go into all the world, make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Okay? This doesn't change just because we got married, right? But, again, I'm going to steal Joe Terryism, right? Which is, but how do we do it, okay? And how do we do it? We have to lead. If we're not leading, no one's following, okay? Look in the world. Anywhere you see things falling apart, where are the men? Just ask that question, okay? We understand leadership's important. We have to witness to each other. We should be constantly speaking to each other, encouraging each other in Christ, we should be pursuing spiritual disciplines. I had a brother recently that was said, hey, I'm really trying to get my wife to, to pray and fast with me. I was like, that's awesome. How should you do it? How do we do it? How do we get her to pray and fast? How do you get a bunch of Marines to run around the corner when there's a bunker at the end of the street? There's only one way to do it. You can go yell at them all you want. They ain't moving. How do you get them to go around the corner? Go around the corner. That's the only way you're getting them around that dang corner. How are you going to get them to pray, fast, worship, Bible study? Pray, fast, worship, Bible study. They will follow. Okay, I've seen it. Okay, practice on your kids, right? Practice your evangelism on your kids. Practice on Mormons, okay? 
this is awesome. Jeanette will go collect Mormons, right? She'll walk around. She'll be like, hey, how you doing? And she'll bring them in. She'll be like, hey, you should come to our house. They're like, awesome. We've had like three or four missionary groups come over. Like, woohoo, it's a party. You know, and they come in, stop everything. We go up there and we start witnessing to them, okay? Passionately. It starts with passion and example, though. That doesn't happen unless we're leading. So this is important stuff here. How do you do it? It's tag team. It's a tag team thing with your wife. So I love this part where it's never fair. We don't believe in fair fights, you know. She gets in there and she starts talking. She's like, tags me in. I'm like, then I come in on, uh, from the top rope, you know, with something else. They don't know what's going to come, right? So I thought, though, at times there was a time for this and there was a time that we stopped witnessing. So we're, yeah, I know, and you already know the answer to that, right? So we go on date night, and we're at a sushi place. And I'm a little tired, and I want to be on date night, and I want to eat my sushi. And there's a kid there that is just like, he's hyper-friendly, and he won't leave our table. And he, his dad owns the place. He's our waiter, but he's not leaving. Like, this guy's not going to go anywhere. And I was like, oh, this is date night, dude. Come on, man. I mean, so I was like, okay. So I was like, if I eat my food without making eye contact with him, he'll understand. But Jeanette's still talking to him, right? The next question I hear from Jeanette is this. Well, do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus Christ? I was like, we're doing this now? It's date night. It's date night. And, she, and she, we're doing this now. You know, she's, so I was just like, tag. And then I come in. You know, pile driver, right? <laughs> What's funny is, I was like, I got to, you know, being a jarhead, we, we just get on board. We're lemmings. We do what we're told. So it, it does what it's told. I saw we're going this way. Fine. Coming in on top ropes. 45 minutes later, luckily his dad owned the place because otherwise I think he'd be fired because he just sat at our table and talked. He's, then he sits down with us. And by the end of it, we're praying with him. And that wasn't, you know, that's, that's Jeanette and that's this teamwork. That's this idea. So what I want to leave us with is this question is what's our mission field? Where does it start? Where does it end? We don't have to go far, I, I would argue. Second, have you told somebody recently about Christ or about your faith in Christ recently? And then third, are you and your wife a united team in telling people about Christ? Has your purpose changed just because you got married? What's your role in this and what's her role? Okay, so let me close this in prayer. Lord, thank you so much. Lord, what, why else could we be here except for to tell people about Christ? The world has all these questions, and we have the one answer. Lord, God forbid that we keep it to ourselves. So, Lord, I do pray for me, Jeanette, our marriage, all the marriages represented in this room. Lord, that they would have a purpose greater than just pleasing the people in them, that our purpose would still be about your purpose. We love you, God, and I pray that you bless the remainder of this time. In Jesus' name, amen.